This is episode 195 of the Green and Gold Rugby Podcast. I'm Rugby Reg and I'm thrilled to have you with us. We're thrilled to have you with us. We've got a great crew with us tonight as we rack these podcasts up. Approaching 200, an epic milestone for Green and Gold Rugby. Just as epic as the result for the Wallabies on the weekend. We're going to get into that with a bit more detail soon. But first, a word from our sponsors. Dropbox, and remember that Green and Gold Rugby is supported by Dropbox. It's trusted by 8 million Australians to keep their files safe, synced and easy to share with anyone. Australian companies such as Bow Media Group, Campaign Monitor, Shoes of Prey, Bell Roy and Suntory use Dropbox for business to help their team members work together no matter where they are or what tools they use. Get your whole team on Dropbox for business today to keep your information easy to manage and secure with a 30-day trial. Try it for free at dropbox.com slash business. And let's get straight to the analysis of our game last week. Well, maybe not straight to it, but uh, let's talk about it at least. And a quick welcome to Jamie Miller joining us from the States. How are you going, Jamie? I'm good. We're going to the big dance. We are going to the big dance. Bring your shoes. Um, and it's good that you're bright and bubbly and fresh because I think the other of us are struggling. Matt, how are you going? I'm, I'm very well, mate. Although I've got a, I think I've got a couple of hours on you. I, I, maybe I shouldn't admit that, but uh, <laughs> but but I do. But oh yeah, got the dance shoes on. Oh, it's great, great time. It's it's it's. Um, well, we'll get into it soon. I might have got to get you and the Hugh's one of our most passionate contributors. How are you going, Hugh? Oh, I'm great, Reg. It's been a great day. And look, you just... know, I was I was flagging, I was flagging, had a couple of celebratory beers. Um, yeah. And I think I found a bit of a second win, so I'm raring to go here. But much like the Wallabies, I might fall in a heap in the back end, so we'll see. <laughs> I, there are so many highlights this World Cup, and we've talked about a few, but I, I just love your post-game, you know, 4 o'clock in the morning um, <laughs> rant, your articles <laughs> that you throw together. I was buggered, and I was putting together my, you know, instant review post-game. And then five minutes later, there comes this big cavil masterpiece of top ten takeaways, and and uh, you just totally assert me. But it was it was great. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> really. I, I get so buzzed after these games, and yeah. I just sit there on the couch. I literally wrote that article. You'd be amazed the visual of it. Me sitting literally in the dark in our living room here, trying not to wake <laughs> my housemates as I, I tapped away on the the dim light of the keyboard. The uh, the the laptop screen was the only thing that was illuminating the room it would have looked strange for the outsiders but uh yeah i, I can't, can't possibly you. go back to sleep you're definitely a catch you this is uh, <laughs> they're in the way flattering picture ladies hello yeah Certainly. well look you know you can fault many of my personality aspects but not the quality of my analysis that's i'll stand by <laughs> well more the timeliness of your analysis if you were what I was impressed about um i, I yeah i got up and watched it and then watched a bit of um uh, the cup runneth over on Fox Sports and then my son, 12-year-old son, set the alarm at 5 o'clock so he could watch the replay and came downstairs and just saw me and said, Dad, do you want to go back to bed and have a bit of a sleep? You seem a little bit tired. I said, no, I'm going through again. But um, So it was a great oh, experience. Guys, I had an absolute shocker. I, um, I, I, you know, the, I, I've had that record thing set and it's recorded every game in the bloody World Cup so far. 
um, until tonight, today. So I got up at five with the, with the young fella and went out to watch the game, not recorded. Oh, no. And then I tried to do that thing where it let you play the game, the thing that's currently running, trying desperately not to see the score yeah. or anything else like that. <laughs> And uh, it wouldn't do it. Yeah, and I was just like, oh, it would do other channels. It wouldn't do that channel. Oh, it was just end up watching the replay at six. But um, anyway, wow. We got there, and I think we all loved it. It's it's amazing how these campaigns build. Uh, you know, Wallaby's obviously successful, twenty nine to fifteen over Argentina. And Jamie, I mean, let's start with that first half. Um, it was a pretty you know pretty special start by the Wallabies. I think they looked as as good as they have this World Cup. Yeah, first three minutes came out of the block really well. Um, just doing everything right, you know, keeping the ball, going through the phases, um, creating space, Pocock making two very good turnovers early on. Uh, and then Rob Simmons decided, go, go, gadget, stick the arm out, put the big mid out and uh, score a brilliant try, you know, create a bit of early scoreboard pressure and... Uh, we had that for the whole rest of the game, you know, causing pressure on the Argentinians, just looking at the clock and looking at the scoreboard. It was a great start by us. It was, and it's interesting, um, you know, <laughs> we'll poke a bit of fun at the Scots here because we gave them a hard time for the intercept try, but it really was the result of of some pretty intense pressure we'd put, put on them. Obviously, Mitchell was uh, very close to grabbing his own intercept, not too, you know, only seconds before, um, but it was really strong, in-your-face, aggressive defence. And I, I said, uh, you, Jamie, pointed out last week that you, you know, the Wallabies would need to do that this week to um, it, more aggressively than the Irish did to get over the Argentinians. Yeah, and there wasn't anything lucky about the intercept either. I mean, it was a telegraphed play and Rob made a, a judgment call that he thought he could get to the ball and not create a huge hole on the inside. And then he just went through it and backed himself. Like it was just, it was a really nice piece of play from uh, Rob, who I thought had one of, if not his best game in a Wallaby jersey. It was really good throughout. I just want to quickly take a detour here to talk about the American rugby commentary, which I was, of course, forced to deal with. Um, it's brilliant every week. Uh, their description of Australian rugby as a franchise was particularly galling. Um, but when Simmons took that intercept, they described both his run as like a stork and him, <laughs> and him reaching out with his big stork arms. Um, just, this, this is just quite simple, and I, I can see where they're going. They're going in the sort of giraffe direction here, but storks don't have arms. Um, so, you know, you've just got to give them, like, huge points for effort, but they just don't know anything about the game, and the end result is hilarious. But Jamie, he had a big stalk grin on his face. How about, how about that grin? It was like as soon as it went into his mitt, he, he couldn't stop smiling all the way over. It was fantastic. Well, I, I, I'd applaud you if you tipped the fastest try of the World Cup to go to Rob Simmons. <laughs> Probably um, did, isn't it? <laughs> but all, yeah, I actually think that was a really underrated play in the context of the game. I think those first-minute tries tend to be written off as a bit of a fluke or, you know, nice to get out of the way. And I think it was really underrated in how it settled us in those early minutes and yeah. um, just kind of – and it certainly settled me in the living room. I'll tell you, tell you what, you know, just really took the edge off the nerves and getting out to that 7-0 lead and, and you know, putting the Argies under the pump from the, from the word go. I think – I mean, it was a cracker of an intercept from Simmons. So, you know, hat, hats off to him. It was sensational. It was interesting, needed, and, and perhaps the Argentinians, Argentinians listened to the podcast and expected us – to play this way because that inside ball 
um, or that little short ball in the face of rushing defence was clearly a tactic because that ball, you know, if Simo wasn't there, there was a pretty decent gap there um, for them to run through. And obviously, a little bit later, they uh, pulled it off again on the outside this time. Uh, I think with I think it was Bosch who ran through with Foley to cover. So it was a, a pretty significant play from Simo to, to be there and also to pull it off. Um, Matt, what was your feeling about the, the start of the game? It was nice relief to get that, but uh, we managed to you know keep the uh, keep our guns blazing for the next uh, you know quarter of the game at least. Oh yeah, no, it just it just kept coming. I, the thing that just I thought. Um denoted this game and, and kept going to the very end until we pretty much were falling over on our feet, was just the, the, the aggression in the defence. Um, it was just the line speed, um, all the hits. Um, it, was, it was quite outstanding. And I guess the people who really led that were the back row. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then uh, the, the, the uh, second row, uh, whose name Douglas. I'm... Comp- Kane Douglas. Douglas. Kane Douglas. Um, absolutely fantastic. And if you look at the tackle count, I mean, it's those four guys, um, you know, within, you know, really grouped around 15 tackles or so. Um, just the whole night just kept going. And, you know, you looked at that Argentinian team who, you know, only a week ago, week ago looked like, you know, absolute heroes against the Irish. And we just made them, they just looked terrible. Um, I think there was only about two times they had any plays in our, I think it was in our 22. Um, most times we were just knocking him backwards. Uh, it was just, you know, that was quite astounding. And I think that, that really set the thing for the, you know, set the, the tone for the whole night. I think the Argies were still good, though. I tell you what, I mean, even in, with a really good Wallaby defensive performance, they still created something like 10 line breaks. Mm. You know, which I think showed you their intent to move the ball and and uh, their skill, you know, their passing game. And look, I think on the Thursday podcast last week we spoke about how our rush defence would be a real key, and and it's what the Irish didn't do against the Argentinians. And and it's and I think that was what ultimately won us the game, where where the where the Irish stood back and let the Argies play the game, you know, play ball. We got up in their face and. You know, we had Kane Douglas or Scott Fardy housing them in the, that first or second channel, and then we had Michael Hooper or you know Tavita Kurandrani rushing up and hitting that second wave as well. And the accuracy um, with some of our hits was 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 astounding. It was um and, and as well our cover, a couple of really great desperate covering tackles from you know Steve Moore did a, pull it off a couple. Uh, Will Genia, Bernard Foley, Drew Mitchell. Um, it was um it was a really composed performance. It was as uh, committed a performance as I've seen. Oh, yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, that Wales game was amazing. But, you know, it's just that vision. And it was that second half when, uh, without getting ahead of ourselves, Fardy, he was just knocked about. You know, he, he and Pocock were just bleeding everywhere and they just looked damaged. And, and that big hit that Fardy pulled up coming out of the line, you know, must mm-hmm. have been close to that last quarter, was just monstrous. And it just typified the, uh, you know, body-on-the-line type stuff that this Wallaby team did in that game. It, w- it was a delight to see. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the the defensive system that the Wallabies are using is so different from the one that the All Blacks are using, and we'll see this really clearly on Saturday. The All Blacks like to get as many people in the line as possible, 14 guys, and keep it absolutely flat, move up as one, and then restack with 14 guys and the one tackler. Um, and our system's just totally different. I mean, we're flooding the ruck, we're making it a pain, we're shooting up, we're consistently gambling and forcing the opposition to go over the top to the wings. 
And that was really where Argentina lost it, that they weren't willing to go over the top to the wings like we were. Um, and we just rolled the dice over and over again. And it was really impressive to see us make those right calls, uh, make the shooter tackle, be big and physical, and put the pressure back on them with our defense on Saturday. I mean, Nathan Gray deserves a huge amount of credit. It's, it's actually a really unorthodox defensive strategy that he's come up with. Yeah, and you talk about in, in the various elements of the defence. I thought our mall defence was fantastic from those couple of close lineouts, and, and we really put a halt on that. You know, where this World Cup has seen that's almost a given for a team that take the lineout down and drive it forward. We we put a halt on that pretty readily. And as you say, Jamie, the the work at the ruck, the counter rucking, and the uh, the driving through was uh, was fantastic, and we snagged a couple of. Turnovers from memory, but even the ones we didn't turn over, we really disrupted the ball or slowed them down at least. So it was a a, a, a wonderful performance. A Hugh, we talk about Simo's trial being somewhat opportunistic, but also uh, a reward of defence. That first Ashley Cooper try a couple of minutes later was was the opposite. It was just completely clinical and, and beautifully uh, put across, wasn't it? Oh, what a perler. I mean, it was great. Just... That ball of Bernard Foley's is it was a stunner. I could watch it over and over again. And it Mate, he, he can't pass wide. He can't pass wide. <laughs> you don't know. What it's just, but it just, you know, sucked them in perfectly. It was the perfect option, and, and just hit Ashley Cooper. And and you know, Ashley Cooper finished these tries really well, and it was underrated how well he finished them. You know, I think a lesser winger would have probably tried to step inside in those moments, as opposed to that real traditional, just get your head down and run for the corner post. Um, and, and finish well, and that's what he did in the second try as well, which, you know, was the result of another beautiful pass from Matt Gitto. Um, yeah. and, and indeed, the, third, the next try after that was a beautiful long pass from Nick Phipps, and I think, you know, under pressure to, to perform those skills like that was, was uh, a testament, and it was what won us the game in the end, to just throw those beautiful passes where, you know, in previous Wallaby teams, you would have probably seen us, you know, either botch it, take the take a hit up, or take the wrong option, or pass it, but slightly behind the man, and you know, cutting off the momentum there. But uh, yeah, the, the fact that they could put put the ball out in front, throw these long cutout passes right onto the chest, well, you know, that's the stuff that you know, the ambition that's great to see in the semi final, and and I was happy it paid off for us because uh, it won us the game. Can someone explain to me that second try though? I don't understand how we end up with Ashley Cooper in about 10 metres of space and there seemed to be about five Argentinian backline defenders, none of which were running at him. It was uh, just beautifully run. I mean, it needs a slow-mo breakdown because it was just clearly beautifully set up um, that they just sucked in that whole corner. Um, I mean, it was just, it was was poetry in motion, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Go, Jamie. No, I was just going to say, um, a definitely uh, a candidate for the anatomy of a try series uh, by the dead ball area, I think. Mm. But um, Ashley Cooper could have had a fourth in the second half as well when um, Beal popped that mini chip over the top, mm. Foley regathered, yeah. and he went on a run. And he was he was really looking for Ashley Cooper, and he actually wasn't in the right place. He should have should have had a fourth, you know, he, uh, if he'd been up with the play. Um, but. You're right about the finishing skills, really classy, never in doubt, and definitely shifting him onto the wing has taken away you know, his, abil- his requirement to pass it in at least one direction, so that's been very good for the team. You know. So my reading of this first half is that you know, for that first 35 minutes, um, 
things were going to plan. You know, the defence was strong, nice and and uh, full and aggressive and and fast and in your face. That the the attack was working well. I think that the width of passing was uh, definitely the tactic for the game to get uh, quickly uh, around that Argentinian defence. Um, that last five minutes of the first half, you know, the Argies had a couple of food, good runs and really put us under pressure. Uh, and we got away, uh, you know, points free other than uh, Sanchez's, I think, was it three penalties in the first half? But the second half, we just, we didn't look composed and whether uh, we were rushing things or, or things weren't going our way. Um, I, that's when I started to get concerned. Matt, did, you know, you know similar feelings or did you think we, we, we had it our way or was it just Argentina lifting or? Yeah, we, it's that um, kind of, third quarter that we always, you know, uh, someone said to me the other, uh, a little while ago that at the end of the day, you can't, it's very hard to have a whole match of rugby your own way. And, you know, the stats always seem to kind of, you know, as far as territory and possession tend to rebase themselves. And they seem to happen to us in that sort of third quarter. Um, the thing that I, I'll, I'll, what I'll go with you definitely on Reg is I still couldn't believe when we'd scored three tries, converted two of them, and you look up and it was what nineteen ten, yeah, and you're kind of like, huh, nineteen nine, and you're like, oh geez, you know, they 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 put a try on there, and especially it was just inside that first half, wasn't it? Yeah, and they were down in our corner, and you thought, oh, and they came close to scoring a try, and you thought, oh god, this is, you know, we could go in only two points up here, and um, it felt like we'd kind of smacked them. It, It felt very much like Scotland. You know, we we putting on these great tries and 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 not getting and the scoreboard wasn't ticking over in the in the, in the penalties. And if you look at the penalty count, which went down twelve six against us, um, I guess we're gonna maybe this is a segue into talking about the scrum a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're you know, in in the first half of this World Cup, we've you know against Ireland and against Wales, we had the scrum penalties ticking over for us. You know, and we had the you know and and a few um, ruck penalties ticking over, and yet again. You know, I, well, I'm, I, I was right in the middle of a Twitter stoush when, when we dialed in. Um, you know, I, I think Barnes got conned. Um, I think he got conned in the in, in, on the scrum. Um, I think Herrera was yanking twi- um, uh, Slipper's arm like a dunny chain, and I think um, you know there were some most outrageous decisions around the ruck that I'd ever seen. I'm trying to remember when it exactly was, but you know, there was like an Argentinian who was on the ground, placed the ball back, let go of it. Fardy came over. It was just just open. He went to pick the ball up, and the guy picked it up again and pulled it back in, Mm. and we ended up being penalised. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. I I, I really like Barnes as a a referee. Anyone who can take a few Rugby World Cups off the All Blacks is all right in my book. But, you know, there's a few decisions in there. I I thought he was playing catch-up from that yellow card against the guy, that you know, with his no-arm tackle maybe. I don't know what it was. But, um, you know, I, I thought we got hard done, but whichever way, maybe we weren't hard done by, and I'm talking out of my bum, but at the end of the day, we weren't getting those tick-over penalties. And so, you know, if, if you'd just thrown in another six points, say, um, then uh, it would have looked like a very different scoreline, but it always just felt too close. I agree with you. Yeah, look, I, I think... I, go, go Jamie. Yeah, I, look, I really agree with that. I think um, we compounded that with some, some poor game management in the second half. Uh, that sort of period in the middle of the half when the Argentinians were seven down and they were really camped in our half and we were tackling very well and we kept turning the ball over. But then three times in a row we kicked it and didn't kick it out um, and everyone was guilty here, particularly Genia, but also Foley. I mean, 
that combination of the scoreboard and the clock is is your ally in that situation, and you've got to make them work for you. And the way you do that is by soaking up the time, is by taking the long penalty kick, you know, even if it's not going to make it because it takes a couple of minutes, is by kicking it into the crowd and having a line out, and each passing minute makes the Argentinians force another pass, you know. We just we didn't do that very well, and we didn't do it very well against Scotland either, so... Definitely something we're going to need to uh, work into our arsenal, I think. Yeah, no doubt. Just talk about those scrums, mate. It was interesting. The Argentines were playing games. It was clearly early on they were pulling back or weren't taking the hit and, and drew some very quick penalties or free kicks from Barnes. So it'll be interesting. You could see... You could see uh, Slipper getting leveraged down. So, look, that's all part of the games. It'll be interesting to have what happens next week with the All Blacks and with the CEOs back, and we'll find out that soon enough and chat probably later in the week about that. But uh, it was one of the areas of concern for us, Hugh. The other one, from my perspective, was uh, Izzy at the back. He doesn't, you know, he got through 60 minutes, and and uh, uh, Chica was you're calling that a positive, but he didn't quite look up to it. Or started slowly, I guess. Yeah, he looked a bit underdone, didn't he? I think in the first five minutes, the Argies put up a high ball and you, you stood back and expected to see the, the typical Israel Folau kind of, you know, just soar above the pack and he just completely misjudged it and and, and uh, ended up spilling it and you thought, oh shit, this could be a long day. He's obviously still not right. And look, you know, he didn't have a bad game. He probably had one of his worst ever games in goal, but I think that says a lot about how good he's been for us because... Yeah, he still made a made a sort of line break that set up our our third try. He still was generally solid at the back. His kicking game was decent, except for that one kind of shank mm. um, that he did. But um, you can't help but but figure that Beal would have been a better option to start at fullback. And you know, I think with another week under his belt, he'll be he'll be still starting again next week. But uh, geez, he's such a key player for us that that uh, you think the All Blacks would exploit him if he was even you know one or two steps short so we've got to hope he gets fit because um he's a, he's a real linchpin of our backline attack but he seemed to aggravate it i mean i you know yeah. he, he uh, went off at the end i i couldn't believe it i couldn't believe 20 minutes in when he clearly wasn't right i mean i i can imagine i can get it right you know your semi-final i heard check saying look if we don't win this game there is no game so you throw the guy in but you know those grubber kicks when has he ever done one like that you know, and there were opportunities where he runs almost to a fault at the line, and he, and he wasn't. And I just thought 20 minutes in, it was clear he wasn't comfortable. He was doing crazy stuff he's never done before. And they even swapped Gitto out with Beal before they even thought – and they, they weren't thinking about swapping him out. And it was only when he was limping in the, in the final 10 minutes that they took him off. I just thought uh, – and, and I, look, I, I don't know, but uh, when the guy's – already got an ankle injury and then he seems to aggravate it in the game that looks like bad news to me i i am going to be surprised if he's playing next week and i'm just really surprised that they had him on after 20 minutes especially when as you say hugh curtly was playing so well and um i think brian smith said it you know when curtly's playing at 100 percent and he's playing at 80 or less what's why is there a choice yeah um the other player that was uh Touch and go, supposedly leading into the game. Jamie was David Pocock. No such signs of uh, of uh, injury or, or tentativeness with Poe's game. No, no, no such signs. Um, look, he's just a force of nature. Just, I mean, extraordinary 
performance from him. I think there were a couple of areas where you could see him jogging around and he was clearly 80% as well. But some of those turnovers he secured, one, it was the second one in particular where it was down on our 20 metre, it was from first phase play. So it's not as though the Argentinians were slow getting to the ball and he just latched on, pulled it out with his right mitt and just flicked it behind his back to Genia without even looking. I mean, he's just in a class of his own and it's it's such a pleasure to watch someone playing at that level in that position and doing those things in an unparalleled way and then realizing he's on your team. I mean, it's just, it's it's great. It adds so much to our performance, I think. Yeah, look, we'll get back and we'll talk about some of the key players from the game, but here we probably should, it would be you know, wrong for us not to mention Argentina. They've they've been great this tournament, and, and like you say, they played still bloody well in this game. Geez, they're you know a team with a lot of promise. I without blowing my own trumpet, and I didn't put any money on it to back me. I, I had these guys as dark horses for some while. I think last year, uh, when when it was rumoured that Ewan might end up at coaching the Pumas. I looked at their draw and I said, that's not actually a bad decision. They could go all the way and, and, and what a you know, battle this would have been if that happened. But um, they, uh, they've played exceptionally well this tournament here and they've got some good young talent there. Oh, sensational. And I think, honestly, that they, you know, I think after we scored those first two tries, I just wondered if this might be like uh, 2007 where they kind of got to the semi-final but faded pretty quickly against South Africa. And, and um, it was... It was clear in that sort of middle 40 minutes that they, that they weren't lying down to anyone. And, and they're a sensational team. They're the best team we've played all tournament. They're better than Wales. They're better than England. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's a, it's, you know, people have this sort of, some people have this older kind of view of the Argies that, well, you know, it was an easy semi final. We're lucky to get them. And, geez, you know, we put them away as we should. No, 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 no. They're, they're a really good team. And we had to play bloody well to beat them. And we should be, you know, it, it, it makes me more proud of our team that, that we actually got up against these guys. And it, that game was by no means easy. And, um, and look, they, they, to do that, what they did, they lost Creevy in about the 30th minute. They lost uh, Juan Imoff. They lost uh, Hernandez. Um, you know, they lost Senatore as well, I think, towards the back end of the game. So they were under the pump. They lost a couple of their inspirational sort of players. And to, to keep fighting like they did. And, you know, Mitchell's... We're going to talk about maybe Drew Mitchell's yeah. break for Adam Ashley Cooper's try. But, I mean, that's a bit of... You know, that was a big moment in the game. And you wouldn't say it was a lucky try. But certainly the Argies had three or four you know, passes that if they'd went to hand or, you know, this, the last play had come off that they would have scored, the, the game could have been really different. It was it was a real close game. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think England makes a good comparison there when you said that you thought they were the best team we played this tournament. You know, England have dabbled in playing a more open, expansive style, but they haven't really put their money there consistently. And Argentina provide a really nice counterpoint. You know, Hukada's really got them playing this expansive game and he's backed them and he came under some some heavy questioning and after the match and he said, absolutely, we're going to keep playing like this. This is the way to, to move forward. And I think he's shown that, that they can develop the outside backs to make that type of game work. And I expect, like you guys, I expect them to be better and better in years to come and I think they probably are a better team than England at the moment, for sure. Well, it shall be an interesting battle or not in their third, fourth playoff on uh, I think it's Saturday morning when they take on the box. Um, all right, let's talk players, uh, Matt. 
uh, stand out for you? There's obviously a fair few, but anyone for any reason particularly jumps to mind for you? Well, I mean, you know, there's a pretty easy one there, which is David Pocock. I mean, just, you know, you, you touched on, me, on him earlier. I guess we're all worried about him coming in. How is he going to be? That calf obviously wasn't nothing. I mean, it, it, well, it never turned up. Um, I was having a beer with Gibbo tonight, and as he said, he thinks he obviously has a calf within a calf. Um, so he can afford to lose one and continue to go. Um, so, yeah, he, he, he absolutely didn't seem like And then you, you, you talked about that Hernandez injury. Have you guys looked at that tackle? Unbelievable. He just completely legally just absolutely cuts him in half and then picks him up and smacks him into the ground again. He, it's like he get he, Hernandez get, Hernandez gets hit almost three times in that one hit um, and he's just gone for the rest of the game and eventually comes off in the second half. Um, was I think he made four turnovers, um, slowed an, an interminable amount of ball. He's, he's on his own. There's no one like him in this World Cup um, and the impact he had on this game was, was, was phenomenal and um, you would never have think he hadn't, you would never have thought he hadn't been training for more than a week. It was just astounding. We forget that that he's playing at a position, you know, and I know it's a back row, it's a back row, but he's mm. playing number eight. I mean, it's a fairly specialist position to some degree. It's just staggering how well he is playing. Um, he's a remarkable player. Mm. Um, Hugh, I'll keep going with a the theme and say Scott Fardy. I thought he was incredible. He, 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 I mean, look, I'd like to say the back row as a unit because they just fit together so so nicely, and and what Fardy brings. Is you know like the other two, he has a presence at the ruck certainly, and can get his hands on the ball. Um, but just his reads in defence, and just his I don't know his rugby brain. You know, like he he won us that penalty at the start of the second half by pilfering the ball out of the Argentinian mall. Um, he just pops up in places and and you know makes plays that that uh, lesser you know that other players wouldn't and. He brings this sort of authority to that back row, uh, and and it was one of his great games. It was a real and look, I put my hand up and say that midway through the Super Rugby season, I I wasn't sure he was up to it. You know, I thought he might be a bit past it. Uh, and there was guys like Sean McMahon coming through and and really putting forward good good performances. Or even you know we would play the pooper, but um, keep Wycliffe Parlour at number eight or Scott Higginbotham, but. Um, Scott Fardy is just a, a real marvel, and he's a he's a big game player in that you know I'm not sure Super Rugby is his go. You know mm. he doesn't he thrives in those trench warfare attritional big games of Test rugby, and mm. uh, so it was again last you know last night where he just played played an absolute blinder, and and you know you saw him trudge off at the end like he'd just gone 14 rounds with Muhammad Ali, and he, he just. Yeah, no. Titan, he's he's incredible, you know. He, he is absolutely. He's a, it was a phenomenal effort. Uh, Jamie, what about you, mate? Um, well, I also loved uh, the performances of Pocock, who you know I'm a huge fan of, and and Fardy, who I think is is probably the best six in the world at the moment, and I don't think it's that close actually. Um, and the American commentators actually managed to redeem themselves a little in the second half when Fardy had blood all over his face and that huge beard. There was a close-up on him, and just straight off the cuff, the uh, colour commentator said, oh, well, guys, uh, Halloween's come early this year, um, which, was, which was nice. Um, but for me, I thought, I thought Simmons actually had a really good game. I think he can be very um, 
inconsistent some weeks, uh, and he did put in a late tackle, which I was very worried was going to get referred to the TMO at one stage. Um, but I thought he was very industrious. He made a great line-out steal. He obviously took that intercept, and he was the driving force behind a, a counter-ruck turnover as well. And I thought he had a really, really good game. He did all the things that you want from a lock and none of the things that you know he sometimes throws in from time to time. So, yeah, nice work, Rob, stepping up on the big on the big occasion. Yeah, yeah, really good stuff. Yeah, I thought he made some good meters too, which is, I think, Matt, you and I were suggesting that he... He's not notable mm. for a few weeks ago, but he uh, he ran well on occasions. Uh, the stalk, yeah, he showed stalk strength. You the know. stalk, yeah. I know we all. Well, love he's looking, he... he's looking cut though. I yeah, mean, he's, 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 is. Looking, he's, he's looking more athletic than I've ever seen him. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just want to mention uh, Kane Douglas. He's a, he's a name that's sort of come up a few times lately, and obviously I think we've mentioned him earlier tonight with his tackle count, and I, I don't think he missed one. Uh, yeah, Will Skelton was one a name that we thought would play a role here, and obviously he's gone back injured, but we thought he'd play a role in these sorts of conditions, particularly with his strength at diffusing them all. Um, Douglas is playing that role for us at the moment. He is such a physical, I was going to say thug, but beast. You know, he's just so aggressive and so strong, and, you know, he's one of those guys who just loves to throw him in there. He reminds me a lot of David Giffen from that 99 team, who just does some of the stuff, you know, the unfancy stuff, and he's just in the middle of, middle of everything, and he's he loves to use his his physicality to boss people around, and it's just something that we we seem to have lacked in recent years. So I'm I'm just loving uh, Douglas's play uh, for the Wallabies at the moment, and you know you put them together, you you know you put the all the guys were put together, and they're the key guys you want performing your back row, your your locks. Um, because they're the they're the physical crux of the team. Obviously, the front rows up front, but those guys, if they're being strong and and, and dominating aggressively, uh, you've got a fairly good start for your team going forward. And, and, and the guys nice... like twenty five. He's twenty five. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, you know, back being well, um, his soft tissue seems to be okay. I mean, you know, he he could do another two World Cups. I mean, there was a nice uh, microcosm of exactly what you're talking about, Reg, with the combinations working well, and it was that first half maul line-out that the Argies had five metres out, and Simmons went up and disrupted the ball, so they couldn't set their maul the way they wanted to, and then Fardy came straight through the middle and forced the ref to say, use it once, and then Douglas latched on from there once it peeled off right onto the ball and secured the turnover. It was like the one, two, three mm. punch. Everybody knew what they were meant to be doing. There were no two guys doing one job. It was just that that's hours on the training paddock and confidence in the guy next to you. And that's what's got us to the big dance. Yeah, indeed. Um, look, I think we should wrap up. It's probably been half an hour of chat about oh. this game, and I'm sure we could go what, on what, longer. Go on, Reg, though, one more thing. Like, we got pounded last week because we didn't talk about Bernard Foley. Yeah, did now, we? In, in the comment. Did Mrs. Uh, Foley call, did she? No, no, no. There were several... Um, Mrs. Cooper. I don't know. Yeah, Mrs. <laughs> Cooper called, I think. <laughs> I mean, can we give him a bit of an appraisal? Yeah, yeah. Or, I, had, I had a few other people I wanted to mention anyway, so yeah. Oh, look, I, I don't know what else you need to say. I mean, the guy keeps turning up and delivering. I mean, I think he... There was a couple of kicks, but I mean, they were pretty wide um, that he missed. But 
I just, I, God just keeps putting in. I, I, I don't know what people are looking for. I mean, actually, I was reminded looking at um, some of these other World Cups in the past, and you know, even these ones that Bernie Larkin played in, um, that we eventually won. And you know, the the guy, you know, he didn't boss every game. You know, there were games where he, he put in a solid performance. Um, and I, I, I don't know. Again, yet again, Bernard Foley, you know, hitting all the passes he needs to hit, most of the kicks, and then um, these covering tackles. Um, that he's putting in. I don't know. I, I I don't know what other people are watching to think. I mean, it just he seems to me. I think you, you made a really good point there around Test match rugby and Test match players and about Fardy, you know, picking up. And um, look, I I think um, the Ice Man is he, you know Bernard. He's doing the same thing. I I don't know what other people are expecting. I, look, don't get don't get us wrong. I think on this podcast we've continued to say. Clearly, Quade Cooper is an incredibly talented player. Maybe he'll come back. Maybe he'll do, you know, who knows what's going to happen in the future. But, you know, I, I, this whole idea that um, we'd be so much further, you know, we, we'd be so much better off than 10 wins out of 11 if it wasn't Bernard Foley and the guy can't run a back line and he, he can't do this and he can't do that. I don't know. I, I, I give up. I, I don't know how to keep up. Let, let's not forget his uh, Stephen Larkham impersonation with the 45-metre drop goal at Twickenham. <laughs> That was pretty special. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, yeah, look. It was great territory, though. The drop goal really got us into that zone, you know, deep in their half, you know. Nice territory. Um, <laughs> I, I, I've Foley's won me over, and I'm, I'm in the midst of writing an article about that for the site, so you'll see that in a couple of days. But I, I thought he was fantastic, as he has been all tournament. Um a couple of things you just talked about that winning percentage reminded me that Stephen Moore's now won ten out of nine out of ten as captain of the Wallabies, giving him a ninety percent win record, which is all time highest for anyone that's captain more than half a dozen tests. So um, oh, we'll see yeah, how long yeah. it lasts, but it's it's pretty remarkable. I think number two on that list is, list is Benny Moen, but um, yeah. but it's the, uh, the question is what's the question you? <laughs> Are you giving him that Wales game, yes. or was it the yes. France game? No, he, is, he, <laughs> that... he was captain. He was named captain. He was only on for a minute, but he <laughs> and, was named and captain. I've got to say, those three minutes were some of the best leadership. Yeah, it really made a lasting impression on that team for you the next 77 yeah. minutes. His, his pre-match speech was a phenomenal side here. <laughs> you set um, the course. It's exactly right. He handled all the media during the week. He didn't need. He up. only needed to play three minutes, really. I mean, it was. <laughs> he peaked early. But it's some it's some good perspective. I mean, who would have thought even at the beginning of the rugby championship that we'd be in a, a rugby world cup final? I mean, what what would the actual odds have been on, and how much money would you have put on that? Not a lot, I suspect. You know, but this it's been was, a think, charmed from run the, from the start. Though this was the way it was set up for us was if we if we somehow got through the group of death. We'd have the run, we'd have the golden run, and not that I'm saying you know Scotland and Argentina aren't great sides and you know certainly we've made hard work of both games but um you know the key game of this campaign was england for a hundred percent you know it, it argentina were a better side than england as i've just said but it, that that's just that just game just set us up so perfectly because it, it laid the whole path out before us and we've been good enough to take it but um you know it, it, it's it's just yeah look it's fantastic it's great that we've got in a rugby world cup final and and we've just played it perfectly so far. So, you know, only one more week and, and, and we're home. Yeah. I, I did just want to mention, we, we have mentioned, but we should give him full credit, Adam Ashley Cooper, who I think was the official man of the match, which is odd. But, you know, a hat-trick in a World Cup semi-final, only the second guy outside of Jonah Lomu to do so. Um, 
with some great finishing and some you know solid play around the field elsewhere. But Drury Mitchell, you know, fantastic run by Mitchell uh, in the end there from that lovely Phipps pass. Just uh, one of those World Cup moments like Owen Finnegan's try in, in 99, which, you know, the game was already won by then. That just sort of put it away. We don't know what the Wallabies will produce next week, but I just, I, you know, that run by Mitchell will be one of those moments that I think we'll remember for a long time. Do you know, I, I think Owen Finnegan, when Owen Finnegan tells the story now, you know, he ran 50 metres, he, you know, <laughs> yep. beat seven defenders. But Drew Mitchell actually did that. Yes. You know? <laughs> yes. He doesn't need to exaggerate. It was incredible. Yeah, it was. Um, all right, guys, any final comments on this game? Oh, I, I did want to mention in the end of that try, bloody Clive Woodward and, and his mate Delalio. Uh, Woodward particularly, and, and he's on Twitter now, I don't know if you've seen it, uh, already tweeting... Um, vines of I couldn't even pick who it up, one wallaby who who seemed to make a no arms tackle and straight after the game he was saying uh, uh, that that pass from Mitchell to Ashley Cooper was forward and he's just uh, he's relentless in his uh, in his disdain for Australian rugby. Well, I think yeah. generally from the English press there's just been a relentless stream of sour grapes for the last couple of weeks and you know. Um, awesome. Good, good for them. You know, we'll take the sour grapes and a World Cup final and you can take the pool of death and your hollow sense of superiority, you know, but some of the stuff on, especially on Twitter is just, it's so full of shit, honestly. Like, I mean, you know, the pass isn't for, I don't even think there's any doubt whether it's forward. Is it? Is am I just seeing something different? No, the touchy was, the touchy was so in line with it and the ref was so in line with it. There was no doubt in the world that it wasn't you know, a, a legal pass. Uh, uh, some of the articles, though, Jamie, look, yeah, Twitter's pretty vile, but I've got to say some of the commentary from, you know, I do love reading the, the English press after a good Wallabies win, but, you know, Brian Moore and Paul Ackford and some of these guys have been pretty pretty magnanimous in the way that they've sort of lauded the Wallabies and the All Blacks coming to this weekend's game. So I think it's been isolated to your, your sort of bitter Clive Woodwards of the world and, and some, you know, at least some columnists out there are making a pretty good fist of it. Yeah, I, I mean, it's true, it's not everybody, but when you win four tries to zero and then there's this sort of insinuation that somehow Argentina were robbed, um, you know, it's hard to take that very seriously, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's surely it's grounds to uh, to uh, move the kickoff time of the test match seven hours forward. <laughs> Indeed. Enforce the punishment. <laughs> yeah, I think the teams. I think the teams that are in the final should get to choose when it's played, and I think the All Blacks yeah. would be honest with this one. Uh, and yeah, the English can turn up at like seven a.m. if they really want well, to watch look, it. Look, anyone who's ever played in the thirteen Fs or you know the the really low teams know that the perfect time for rugby is eight a.m. You know, yes, before yes. before everyone before all the good teams before get breaking. there. That's you know the ground's fresh. It's great. You know. Mm. All right. Um, well, that. Reluctantly, you know, we probably should move on from that game um, and uh, and uh, have a look at the other semi-final. We, we won't get too much into next week's game until later in the week, but let's talk uh, All Blacks versus South Africa. And, and it was a tight one in the end, score-wise, 20 points to 18. Um, the box have been criticised for not playing rugby. I, you know, I thought that was a little bit harsh. I, you know, I guess they they're their normal conservative self, but, they, you know... They had a few chances. They played the high ball a hell of a lot, and there was uh, I thought Habana was remarkable in some of his work in the air. But um, Jamie, what was your view of this one? 
I thought the game was definitely there for the taking for the Springboks. Um, they just couldn't take it. I mean, they, they didn't have that ability to go to a plan B. Um, JP in, in open play, JP Peterson touched the ball once in the game and Brian Habana, the ball was passed to him once as well in the entire match. Um, and when they passed it out wide, Jesse Creel made a great break. You know, I mean, You've just got to wonder with the South Africans. They had uh, a great opportunity when they came out in the second half. They were up by five. Um, Kano was in the bin, and they just couldn't yank it up another gear and make that one-man advantage count because they just kept going route A the whole time. Uh, and if I was a South African fan, I'd be I'd be really disappointed with that. You know, I think they they lost the game more than the All Blacks won it for me. Um, at least that's the way I saw it. Yeah, you're right, mate. I was thinking watching that. I'm so glad I'm not a Springbok fan or a South African because they are the most frustrating team to watch. I mean, talent galore and all that sort of stuff. But um, you know, they just couldn't produce it. And I, you know, I, I agree. I think the game was there. It's Matt. Did you get to watch this? Or yeah, I did indeed. And I, I don't know. I I saw it slightly differently. I mean, whether you say that Maya hadn't condition the team to be the right team when he got there. That's a fair criticism. But I think with the team that he, for whatever reason, had, they played the best cards they could. I mean, you know, to be within, you know, penalty goal of the All Blacks in the semi-final, you know, I and this All Blacks team, which is pretty bloody good, um, I thought was pretty amazing when the when, when the Springboks really hadn't had to play a lot of rugby. I, I found it an engrossing game, and considering how little... How, how little rugby both teams played, um, but especially the Springboks, it had you drawn in, right? You could see this disciplined battle the Springboks played and, 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 and the defensive line that they took. Um, so we just talked about how we managed to turn the, um, the, you know, the Argentinians from heroes to chumps within a week by, by going from passive to aggressive defense. But the Springboks turned that around and showed how actually, you know, just by playing that 14, man line and just just hitting every tackle but not with any line speed you could really snuff out um the all blacks which i thought was pretty amazing um so i actually thought that the springboks they kind of walk this tightrope you know playing that defensive pattern playing total you know just you know um give the opposition the ball type rugby and well i thought they were like one or two decisions away from you know pretty much maybe winning that thing so there was that neck roll thing that got called on matfield which i really didn't think was you know spot on i you know the earlier one i get it but this one i thought was actually kind of i thought it was armpit to shoulder um so i thought he was unlucky to get that and then I do agree with your earlier comments that you and Jay, your and Jamie's comments though that you know even in their own game they didn't execute. So when they didn't take that line out, um, which was deep yeah. in the All Black half, that was that was their time to win, right? That was yeah. take that ball, drive it on. At worst, you get a penalty, and and they should have. And, and the fact they couldn't do that with I think it was Victor on the field at that point as well. That that was them saying, oh, we're not up to it. And um, I think they kind of knew it, to be honest. But um, quite amazing that they were three points away, you know, on the donger. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that they should have been a totally different team. I'm just saying that they needed another, another way of playing that they could alternate with, you know, to create some doubt in the All Blacks' minds. And I think you saw that in the last minute when they tried to run it out of their 22. And 
it was indistinguishable from what they were doing 60 meters up the field. They were just going with forward pods all the time. They, they just didn't seem to have the confidence or the structures to throw it wide and, and put their forwards across the field like the All Blacks or the Aussies can do. Um, and actually try to, you know, get out of their 22. I mean, uh, mm. they just, they just didn't seem to have that extra level, that extra dimension. Dimension's the word I'm looking for. Well, I think they were missing like that one player. Um, and, um, yeah. and a Fury, to be, to, you know, Fury Dupree, uh, he quite clearly had like a bone jutting out of his head. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> at the end of that game, it was kind of ridiculous, but see, it's hard to blame him, but, you know, in early in years gone by, he would have created something, right? He would have made a break, and so would have high, you know, Brian Habana. Don't get me wrong; he had a great game in the air, apart from that brain fart that got yeah. him set off. Yeah. Um, you know, otherwise he had a very, but you know, usually you expect Habana to do an intercept or a hassle or something like that. But um, yeah. you know, he he didn't pull it out. No one, and neither did anyone else. Um, probably Francois Lowe and you know had the better game out of the rest of them, but none of them had a standout. And I don't know that that was the problem with that Springboks team. That you know, usually you have that conservative baseline. They all do their job, and then someone does something, and no one did. Yeah. I think you're right. The other interesting stat from this match I found, and you talk it on the back of the Wallaby penalty count, which was, that was 12-6, was the penalty count here was 14-6 uh, against the All Blacks. So again, the two winning teams sort of doubled twice as ill-disciplined as their opposition or gave away you know twice or, or more than twice as many penalties as their opposition, which was uh, interesting. Uh, Hugh, you see this match, any thoughts? Yeah, look, I was a bit of a neutral coming in, not sure who I wanted to win, but just after half time, I really started cheering for the All Blacks, um, sacrilegious as that may be. But I, I don't like that Springbok team. They they just weren't doing it. They they had so much talent there, especially in that back line, Creel and Dialende, yeah. but they didn't get a chance. They didn't get a chance to fire. You know, they just wasted so much good possession, just mindlessly trucking it up, kicking it. You know, it just they didn't deserve to be in a in a World Cup final. You know, I'd hate to think of these guys winning that World Cup because they just weren't good enough. And yeah. the All Blacks, they played some weird rugby. I mean, I don't know what the story with those grubber kicks was, but they just kept going back to them. Even you know, wasting quality ball in, in the Brock Twenty Two with these sort of grubbers, and there was a box kick and a up and under, and I don't know what they were doing. I mean. It, I can understand just turning, put, putting the defence on their heels if they execute it well, but half the time they didn't. And, you know, the couple of tries they scored was just when they kept the ball in hand and just tried to exploit, you know, mismatches on either side of the field. So uh, I think they looked a little bit flat that game, and if they turn up like that against us, then we're in with a real shot because I don't think the staffers were creative enough to take their chances, but I think we probably are. Yep. Indeed, and we'll uh, we'll get back in touch later in the week and have another podcast and look more specifically at this week's World Cup final. Um, that might wrap us up for the World Cup chat this week, lads. Unless there's anything else, yeah, Jamie. Yeah, can I just add one final fact that a friend of mine sent me, which is more funny than useful? But um, in 1991 and 1999, uh, Sweden won Eurovision and we won the World Cup. Sweden won Eurovision this year. Just going to put it out there. Clearly a causal <laughs> relationship there. In what year? In 1999? 91 and, and, oh, and right. 99 and this year. Yeah, okay. Kill us that. There we go. 
That is. That's. That is. Uh, I mean, you know, that's why you come to the Green and Gold Rugby podcast. You find the the material relevant facts uh, that <laughs> other places can't possibly unearth. Yeah, exactly right. Um, all right, guys. Well, that'll wrap up the Rugby World Cup. We also had NRC semi-finals over the weekend. Friday night, the Vikings took on the Rising uh, down there in uh, Canberra, and uh, Vikings ran away 50 to 34, but they didn't have it all their own way. They, they uh, scored a couple of tries earlier, but the, the Rising really came back, and it was only really uh, again a try too late in the game that secured the win. For the Vikings, so you know the margin, or at least the points for, was probably what we thought. But the Rising uh, uh, played well, or did well to get as close as they uh, as they did. Uh, then on the Saturday night, Brisbane City had a, you know a similar game versus the Sydney Stars. In fact, uh, it was the Stars who took the lead early, and um, it was this was great. I mean, I was at this game, and it was uh, there was little. Mind, I don't know if you guys got to watch it, but there was yeah. little mind games. Pete Playford. Is, uh, was the coach of the Stars too. He's got a few good names around him, but uh, he uh, he had a few little, a few little tricks up the, his sleeve, including wearing white. I don't know if you saw what he's wearing, but he's wearing white slacks and a, a white shirt and looked very uh, uh, very odd. But uh, little things, like even from the run-out where the Stars ran out, they, they stood in a line on the halfway line, um, like it was under 12 rugby again. And you could see Gil running at his team, and he literally didn't know what to do, whether to go out and get into the, you know, kickoff formation or go over and shake hands, and it was just, I think it was those little sort of mind games that uh, Playford's very good at that uh, put the, the, the city off their game a little bit, and there's a little niggle through the game through the likes of Tills and, and uh, Lotu and uh, obviously Tommy Carter, but uh, it, was a, it was a good competition, and again, it was just in the second half when... Um, the likes of Karevi, Karevi and uh, and uh, Lalawifi got away, and then Frisbee scored a couple of crucial tries that uh, sealed the win for Brisbane. And they'll play uh, the Vikings at Ballymore on Saturday afternoon at three o'clock Brisbane time. And what should be, yeah, it's the grand final. I think we all expected from about halfway through the competition, and it should be uh, a, a fantastic game. Yeah, well, I mean, you didn't mention it. I mean, I did watch that Brisbane City game. And- Turned out to be a bit of a spiteful game in the end. A it few yeah. stray punches and a Caden Neville kick trip, which was pretty ugly. Mm. Um, and the family of plovers under the under the sticks at one end of the field, which was just had Sean Maloney just in these sort of fits of laughter. And it was one of the most bizarre kind of spectacles you'll ever want to see. But um, I mean, Brisbane City did well to compose themselves because you know when the Stars scored, I think you know just after half time there. To yep. put a bit of a gap on, you thought, shit, you know, that they might go away with this. But um, Brisbane City just stayed composed, and you know, guys like Kurandrani and Karevi and Nick Frisbee just kind of steadied them, and Liam Gill, obviously, as well, and um, just got that um, bit of momentum back, and you just felt their class told in the end. And, look, it's going to be a great final. Yeah, indeed. The, the plovers were hilarious. So they're last week for the Rams game, and... There's a family, their mum and dad, and, and a couple of little chicks. And, you know, I don't think you picked it up on the TV all the time, but every now and again, there'd just be a roar from the crowd because these plovers were dive-bombing, dive-bombing poor Tommy Kingston, particularly in the second half, at fullback. And he, he didn't know where they were coming. It was just uh, horrendous. But uh, uh, grassroots rugby, shall we call it? <laughs> oh, it should be more of it. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. Um all right, lads, well, that might wrap us up for the week. Uh, we've obviously got thanks to uh, Dropbox for being our 
podcast sponsors once again uh, and, and supporting the uh, uh, the show and, and uh, helping us bring all this uh, fantastic analysis to all our listeners. Uh, Rich, yeah, just just got one final question. Yeah, um, and this is just I don't know the answer to this one, but it's one one in the Bledisloe. Is the Bledisloe up for grabs on Saturday? Can we and, make it up for grabs? Oh, I don't think can we, we want Can we lay down the gauntlet to the Kiwis and, and force them to put it up on the line? Nah, look, it's been on talk on Twitter, and um, I don't agree with it. I think the World Cup's enough to play with, mate. <laughs> yeah. Enough to play for. <laughs> we'll get well, it we next year, anyway. Double it, double it down. But, um, <laughs> um, can I ask another question? So, should we happen to win this match... What happens with the world rankings? Anyone know what the story is there? Because it's double oh, yeah. points, isn't it? Oh, we'd be number one. Yeah, I think automatically the winner of the World Cup goes to number one. Oh, look, I didn't didn't realise that was that as a rule of. Well, football, I think I think I'm pretty sure I've read that in the past. Uh, yeah, we can do the stats. I think there's some pick and go have a pretty good uh, predictive thing there, but I'm I'm pretty sure the winner of the World Cup goes oh. to one. Oh, that's I mean, pretty tight. Why? What is that? What is that? Why, why, why is that the thing that you make you salivating over? Why don't just winning the World Cup? We win the World Cup. Who gives a shit about the rankings? Win the oh, World but Cup. both. But to have both and just walk away. I mean, just the, the turnaround. Where were we? Sixth a year yeah. ago or something? Yeah. I mean, I just, that's just. Uh, you know, honestly, what 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 makes me smile when I think about us winning the World Cup is not the victory. It's not you know uh, the game itself or the spoils you know thereafter. It's you know in forty or fifty years time with a with an elderly Reg doing this podcast still, we're up to podcast number 10,000, <laughs> doing our World Cup special for the 2046 Cup, uh, 45 Cup, and, uh, you know, interviewing an, an elderly, you know, Bernard Foley about how he, you know, won us the Cup back in 2015 and uh, looking back on that and um, doing those, world, you know, being a part of that World Cup Legends podcast from now on, getting these guys in there because... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it'll be great. You've definitely got a macro, a macro view of this, Hugh. I'm still, I'm more concerned about turning up to work Monday to give it to the Kiwi guy upstairs. <laughs> from, the, yeah. from the nursing home, we'll be doing it. Um, but, you know, can I put something out there? Look, we, we've got a great following of, I think, pretty loyal guys who listen and ladies who listen to this podcast. Um, if you notice, we, we do have a sponsor at the moment, and, um, you know, so the more people who listen, the better for us and for them. So, look, you've got to know somebody that loves rugby who somehow has not started listening to this podcast. Give them a recommend. You can you can forward this to them by email or, you know, or hyperlink um, at SoundCloud or whatever else it is. But pass it on to somebody because if we could just – if you just do that once and that person listens, that doubles the size of the podcast for at least that week. Um, but with uh, – you know, Hugh and Jamie's infectious personalities, um, they'll be trapped forever. <laughs> so, um, you know, all, all I'm saying, yeah, there you go. Word of mouth. It's the best one. that yeah, If you love it, pass it on to somebody. You're doing them a favour. It sounds creepy. You won't be trapped forever. You can leave at any time. Is what I tell, you know, <laughs> it's like Hotel California. And the other thing, guys, let's get behind the Wallabies, hey? Let's, yeah, you know, yeah. let's, I'd love to see, um, you know, You'd have to think an all-black Wallaby World Cup final, despite the fact it's on 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, will get the people, you know, watching. I think the TV numbers will be pretty remarkable for that night. But let's show the Wallabies our support this week by, you know, 
we we've started to show your gold uh, on social media. Get your flags, your scarves, your caps, your jerseys, or whatever, and get them visible. Get people, you know, backing this Wallaby team because they deserve it. They've done remarkably and, so far. And make sure you mention it to those New Zealanders who you work with because they're probably more scared of losing than they are excited about winning. Yeah. Um, so just just quietly niggle them. You know, that's what we do. <laughs> Oh, did you see that response from, uh, was it Stuff that uh, Kata NZ or whatever it was about that elbow thing with McCaw? And they had this article which was, it's, 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 it's an optical illusion. Oh, Don't believe gosh. it for a second. It was, it was actually ac- absolutely bizarre. Um, but, oh, talking about optical illusions, um, I, I did get an email through today. Apparently the IMAX in Sydney down at <laughs> Darling Harbour is um, it's going to be showing that elbow over and over again? No, it's going to be, it's going, <laughs> it's going to be showing the final, three oh, a.m. Wow. in the morning. Really? Ten bucks, ten bucks to get in, uh, and watch the final on IMAX. So I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure I can see David Pocock's guns on a screen that big and, and <laughs> yeah. keep it all together. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be illegal, um, but there you go. Yeah, so yeah, there you go. If you if you're up for it, get down there. What an awesome experience! All right, guys. Well, that'll do us. Uh, another podcast. We'll be back with you later in the week. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Dropbox for your support, Matt. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, mate. To you, Hugh. Thank you. Oh, only only two more to go. The preview and the victory podcast. That's it. We're almost <laughs> there. Well, we'd have to have the Victory Victory podcast. When we, you know, we'd have to have a rub. We'll, we'll drag that out. <laughs> hey, Jamie, thanks for joining us once again from the States, mate. No worries. Victory podcast live from the Bahamas, brought to you by Dropbox. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cheers, right, guys. Cheers. Thanks, thanks Reg. Speak to you next week.
Rotte.